What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm Shelly Metling, and I've been sharing my infertility journey openly on YouTube for about a year now. With four losses ourselves and one rainbow baby on the way, I wanted a platform for you babes to share your stories. So girl, sit back, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry, because we are about to get real on the ins and outs of pregnancy loss in the 21st century. Katie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So everybody listening, I know Katie, which is a little bit different than a lot of our other episodes. Um, Most of those girls I've met through social media, which it's just so crazy what social media can do nowadays and connecting everybody. Uh, But Katie and I are pretty much in the same town. And we've known each other for quite some time. She knows my sisters pretty well. And her and I have become quite close the last few years. Uh, So I'm really excited to hear her story because when I had my first miscarriage, I think you were one of the first people that I kind of had like a me too moment with. Oh, sure. So I I think when I had my miscarriage, I think my sister had mentioned that you had had one and I was like, oh my gosh. And then you reached out to me like instantly. I did. um, Which was so awesome. But yeah, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about your story because you had your... You had your story kind of starts like years back where a lot of our other stories are more recent. So I'm super intrigued just to kind of see, you know, how it affects you later down the road, because that's obviously a position that I'm going to be in at some point as well as many of our listeners will too. So if you just want to kind of like tell us a little bit about yourself and just start from the beginning. So I mean, I'm currently 40 years old. Um, my story is a little bit backwards because I actually had a child prior to my two miscarriages. I got pregnant with my daughter in 2006. I was in paramedic school and I was terrified because we weren't planning. Me and my husband had been together for a long time. We weren't married yet. But um, anyway, long story short on that, had her in February of 2007. And we got married in September of 2008 when I finished paramedic school. So... Um, I actually, after I had my daughter, never thought I would want to have more children because I had a really tough labor and was in ICU after my daughter was born. But fast forward three years, we thought, eh, our kid could use a sibling. We're ready. You know, we're now in our early 30s. Like, let's do it. So it doesn't take long to get pregnant. I think I had my first, my first eight-week OB appointment was in March of 2010. And I had my 12-week appointment on April 2nd of 2010. Now on April 1st of 2010, working as a paramedic, um, I worked my first uh, cardiac arrest on a baby. Um, So I'm pregnant, emotional, you know, trying to revive this 10 month old. I cannot even imagine that. I always tell you, I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I mean, the stress was high. And, you know, I mean, I was crying while writing my report. And, you know, but it was the beginning of my 16 hour shift, the show goes on, I finished my shift. You know, um, I had my appointment. Well, my 12 week appointment was actually the day after that happened. Everything was fine at my 12 week appointment. Heartbeat strong. Everything looks good. I mean, when I you still- were when you were going through all of that, though, like when you were working and having that stressful moment, did it scare you at all in the sense of like, it, oh, gosh, what if this affects? Yes, it did. Okay. Um, it did very much so. So I actually was fortunate that I did have that appointment the next day already scheduled. 
I mean, my bosses, you know, gave me the option to go home if I wanted to, but I just kind of said no because I didn't want to sit at home and dwell on it. Like sometimes it's better to just carry on. Yeah. And so I went to my appointment the next day, told my doctor about it, and but heartbeat sounded fine. You know, everything looked good. So then so I had no worries, you know. I yeah. just dealt with the grief of that call and, you know, kind of moved on. Then about... This is, I'm not sure if it was the 9th or the 10th, I um, developed some abdominal pain. It was in my right lower abdomen, you know, called the clinic. I never had any bleeding. I didn't have any spotting, just pain. And so I called the clinic and they sent me to the ER. They thought I could have appendicitis. Mm. So they were like, immediately just go to the ER, find out, because if it's appendicitis, we got to take care of it. Do you, so, okay, I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, I have found with this pregnancy that I have a really hard time, like, knowing when to, like, call or being like, yeah. is this normal or, right. is, you know what I mean? Like, what gave you that idea of, like, I, I need to call? Like, this is not. Not normal. The yeah. pain is so severe. And, you know, working in medicine, my thought, too, was, oh, my God, I could have appendicitis. Yeah. I never in my wildest dreams thought it was anything wrong with baby. Okay. Because I didn't have any spotting. There was Mm -hmm. no bleeding. There was no spotting. The pain was in a very specific part of my body. Yeah. And I mean, I was almost doubled over in pain. Okay. So the clinic was just like, go there. They can check the Doppler there and then, you know, figure out what it is. So I'm like, all right. So my mom comes over because Hannah's now three at this point. Mm -hmm. And I'm at about 12, 13 weeks pregnant. Um, Of course, we had told everybody because with my first pregnancy, like, you know, there was no problem. So we had told all our friends, all our families, Mm -hmm. everybody was pregnant. So we go to the hospital and they try to do the the Doppler just in the ER, but couldn't get a reading on it. The doctor's like, it's no worries. You're 12, 13 weeks. It's sometimes hard. Sent me for a formal ultrasound, hoping in combo that they can see if it's my appendix and then also check baby at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, While sitting in the ultrasound room, you know... In the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'm not hearing that whoosh, whoosh, whoosh like I should be, but I'm still like just not going to go there, you know, and the ultrasound tech is very quiet and doesn't, you can just see on her face that something's not right. Oh, that's the worst, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I know she's not going to tell me. And I even asked and she said, the doctor will come in and talk to you. and you get Which is then the worst too, because you're like, okay, something really is wrong because you know that they won't tell you. Like, the doctor's yeah. always going to be the one that's going to tell you the bad yeah, news. like, if it's fake. something good, they're like, oh, yeah, everything yeah. looks great. When it's bad, they're just quiet. And, mm-hmm. I mean, keep in mind, I work for the hospital that I'm at. So I know the nurses, the physicians. I know everybody there. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor comes in and, you know, gives us the bad news. There's no heartbeat on the ultrasound. Um, so basically, I'm crying in the room. Jake's crying. Jake goes out to make a few phone calls, you know, while they're kind of, you know, because they still do all the pelvic exams and all that stuff. And so basically, that was my day at the ER. Then um, my doctor was actually out of town the week that this happened. And so the following Monday, because this happened over a weekend, they called me to schedule my DNC because I never did start bleeding, mm-hmm. like at all. So knew I wasn't going to. This wasn't going to just pass on its own, and I'm 12 to 13 weeks pregnant. Yeah. That would have been, I mean, that far along, too, like, passing that naturally is pretty traumatizing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, so, I mean, I obviously didn't want to just wait around. Yeah. 
so scheduled that and got that done. Um, I think like the Tuesday or Wednesday of the following week, um, the doctor that, I mean, very nice OBGYN said, listen, we didn't take everything out. We want you to expel some of, I hate the word, but products of conception naturally because they didn't yeah. want to damage my uterine wall for okay. future. Because they did note when they were in there, I had a lot of scar tissue from my C-section and mm-hmm. things like that. So, now did, with Hannah being three, did she, did you guys tell her that she was going to be a big sister? Like, did she know? No, I, we actually had not told her yet. Okay. Because she was so little. I mean, I was starting to show, but she was so little, we had not yet told her. Okay. That's the one blessing, I guess, of. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, that's hard. Yeah. That's yeah. hard. I, we told my nieces right away with our first pregnancy yeah. and it was a really hard thing for them to grasp because it's yes. kind of like, wait, well, you're, you're not having a baby, right? <laughs> you know, but yeah. Yeah. So we didn't tell her. So for as far as she knew that mommy was just sick, you know, and whatever. And so I had my first DNC and, you know, went home that day. I mean, we're heartbroken. We're crying. We're trying not to seem so emotional because we have this three-year-old in the house. Yeah. You know, I mean, my mom is kind of coming over a lot, you know, to help out. And, and luckily my husband, the saint that he is. He is a saint. He really is. He's awesome. (laughs) He took, he took the brunt of being dad and uh, now looking back I feel bad because he probably didn't have the grieving time that I had yeah because he was just being dad mom everything you Mm -hmm. know and then a few days my mom would call me every day if she wasn't here and ask have you started bleeding yet have you started bleeding yet and I'd say no but they didn't really tell me how long it was going to take you know yeah but they put me on a medicine I don't remember what it's called now but to help your uterus contract yeah I don't remember the name. Of I don't it, either, but... but I know a couple girls who have taken it. Yeah. Yeah. And so five, six days later, roll around and I still haven't started bleeding. And now I'm getting a fever. Mm. Of course, all this always happens on a weekend. Yeah. It so totally does, mom, doesn't it? It does. When you yeah. can't get into your doctor and you're like, gosh. Yeah. And, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, well, I can wait until Monday. My mom is like, no, if you have a fever, we need to take you back in. And I'm like, all right, well, let me just call the on-call doctor first. And, of course, yeah, they said go in to the hospital and get an ultrasound and see what's up. So go in and do that. And, yeah, my body is still feeding the leftover products of conception like it's a pregnancy. And I'm now, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I'm now developing an infection. So here we are, 11 p.m., I'm getting prepped for surgery, you know. Now, is this – I was going to say, okay, is this a second DNC? Okay. Yep, yep, they did a second DNC to get the rest of it out. Um, so did all that. Um, and to be honest with my first one, I really picked myself up quickly. I just, once I healed from the two DNCs, um, I got back to work. Like I just, I think I was maybe off for three weeks total, just cause there is a couple week period where you're not supposed to lift anything Okay. and things like that. But I went back to work pretty quickly and just got back in the swing of things, um, Obviously, it was always in the back of my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, I was open to talking about it to people who wanted to. But as you know, people don't want – they avoid the subject. Yeah. It's awkward for people. Yep. Yeah, so I never, like, forced it on anybody. Like, if people asked how I was, I would just say, oh, I'm, I'm doing okay, you know. Because, mm-hmm. you know, people don't really want to know all the details. Yeah. Um. So 
that was April. which is why we're which is why we have this podcast we could just yes. force it into their ears force it into your ear. <laughs> you know and it's okay to not want to ask I mean yeah from my mind it's like yeah it's uncomfortable for people who've never gone through it or don't know anybody who's gone through it mm-hmm. I mean you know but it's also amazing how many people you find out have once you've had one yeah because totally. those people those people will come out of the woodwork and be like oh I had one too you know just six months ago and you're like oh okay so I'm not the only one (laughs) yeah but yeah so that one the only thing that stuck in my mind was thinking that that um call that I went on at work that really stressful call like in my mind that's what did it even though it probably had nothing to do with it but I totally know what you mean you start to just like you pick apart like anything that you did beforehand yeah, because, you know, when you have your first one, they don't do any testing. Mm-hmm. They don't really try to figure out, especially when you've had a healthy baby in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they're just like, oh, you know, the fluke miscarriage is basically what they call it. I don't mm-hmm. know how you call it a fluke at 12, 13. I, right. But, but whatever. Um, then, so then we decided, I guess, probably six months later or so that we wanted to try again. But there came a surgery in the meantime because of all this scar tissue now i've built up even more from having a c-section and two dncs that my doctor had concerns that we would have a hard time carrying if we didn't remove this scar tissue okay from my uterus so we scheduled it's called a hysteroscopy Mm -hmm. and it had to be done at the u of m because that's where all the fertility people are like my OBGYN office doesn't do those kind of procedures so Went and had that done, had to be off of work for a month, and that all went fine. They said they, you know, removed enough where it shouldn't be an issue, so then in, trying to think, that was in December of 2010 that I had the hysteroscopy. Okay. And so I had to have like a six to eight week recovery with no intercourse or anything like that for eight weeks for sure. Six okay. weeks with no lifting. So... Um, then, so then once we got the go ahead, we just started trying. And what was it like trying that time versus trying the time before time. after having Hannah who was healthy yeah. and then, you know, trying, there's probably no fear or anxiety or right. you're going to get pregnant and you're going to have another baby versus yeah. now you've had a miscarriage and now you're trying again. Like what was the difference there? So the big difference there, and this is a conversation that I had with my husband, because, I mean, you're still wounded. It hasn't even been a year. Yeah. And I said, I want to try again. I'm very fearful. But if it happens again, I don't think I could go through it again. Okay. Just emotionally, physically, I'm like, I don't know if I could do it again, but we'll give it another try. And he was 100% in agreement, you know, so we did our thing and got pregnant. June of 2011 was my first doctor's appointment, so I was about eight to nine weeks pregnant at that point, and things looked good. Now, in this pregnancy, what was different, I had gestational diabetes with my daughter, so they started testing me very early with both of my um, pregnancies. Other pregnancies, yeah. Yeah, so they would test me almost right away, and with both of them, I came back positive right away, like not even doing the three-hour glucose test positive. Yeah. But I always just did diet control. I never went on any meds. So I think, I mean, I think by 12 weeks of now my third pregnancy, they've already tested me for gestational diabetes and it's positive. So I just, you know, alter my diet. Um, And this time we did tell Hannah because she's five. Mm -hmm. So we told, we started, I told my parents almost right away 
but we waited to tell anybody else until we made it past that 13 week mark because that was kind of our the safe I say that with quotations yeah the safe zone (laughs) the safe zone because that yeah we're okay we've made it I mean even my doctor was like all right we've made it past the hurdle that we had last time Mm -hmm. so we started telling people you know because that's what you do when you're excited for something and we're thinking this is going to be great we're in the clear everything's great yeah so um end of July of 2011 I just wasn't feeling well. It was one of those weekends. It was really hot. I was miserable. I mean, people don't know me, but I'm five feet tall. So when I'm pregnant, these babies have nowhere to go <laughs> but out. So I'm full maternity clothes. You know, I'm roughly 16 weeks pregnant at this time. And I just remember calling the clinic saying, I'm really not feeling well. And they just said, listen, we want you to stay home from work this weekend. I worked overnights, you know. And they said, we want you to just stay home, stay out of the heat, keep your feet up. I had an appointment the following Tuesday on August 2nd was my 16-week appointment, but it was like a week off on time frame, so I was mm-hmm. about 17 weeks pregnant. So, you know, I do what they say, and I stay in the air conditioning, and I take full advantage, and I'm resting and, you know, getting waited on by Hannah and Jake and <laughs> <laughs> go to my appointment by myself because it's just a normal check Yeah, you know. I had had many ultrasounds because at this point, my doctor said, any pain you have, I want you to come in. Mm-hmm. He's like, just show up because we can always squeeze in an ultrasound or at least a Doppler. So I had had multiple ultrasounds and everything was always fine. So I think at that point when I had called them, they said, you have an appointment on Tuesday. If anything changes, then just call us back. So I went to my appointment and my doctor couldn't find the heartbeat on the Doppler they have the ultrasound obviously right in the clinic at your OB most OBGYNs do anyway. So they go to do that. And my doctor actually came into the room with me on that one. And I just saw it on her face and knew that it had happened again. There was no heartbeat. So I immediately, I mean, I'm alone at this appointment. So I break down crying. My doctor is crying. The ultrasound tech probably would have, but she had to leave the room. Um, so yeah, that one was probably the harder of the two Yeah, because we thought we were safe, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and my doctor was great. She called Jake for me. She said, who can I call? I mean, I was supposed to go to work four hours after this appointment. So gosh, um, so she, Jake comes to the clinic and we sit in the room for a while and just, you know, grieve while my doctor's making the game plan, you know, again, no bleeding, no spotting. Not even really any cramping. I just had a general feeling of not feeling well Yeah. through the weekend. So really like no signs that I would think, oh, I'm miscarrying again. Yeah. Even this time. So we scheduled my DNC on August 4th. They had sent me home with a medication to take the night before to dilate my cervix because they had a really hard time dilating it with my first DNC. And it put me into full-on labor. So at 2 a.m., I'm now contracting. I'm at home. You know, my husband's sleeping. We're supposed to be at surgery at 6.30 in the morning. But I'm up all night having contractions and fearing that I'm about to deliver my my dead baby. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So I finally woke Jake up at, like, 5 because I knew the surgery doors opened at 5.30. Mm -hmm. So we uh, hit those doors running at 5.30 in the morning and minimal staff is there at 5 30 but there's a front desk gal and a nurse 
And I tell them what's happening and that I'm in labor, but, you know, I know that I've miscarried. And so they bring me back to a room and I, I laugh about this part because the God bless her soul. The front desk asked me if I wanted some ice for my cramps. And I probably screamed at her. I'm not having cramps. I am in labor. Get me a nurse and a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> because every time I went to the bathroom, I mean, I thought, oh, my God, this baby. It's going to come out. It's yeah. going to come right out of me. Luckily, the anesthesiologist was early. The doctor that actually was on call the night before, I had tried to call them like four times and they never returned my calls, which I understand they're busy doing deliveries and things. My doctor was pretty upset that I never got a call back. But yeah, um, so we did that. And yeah, my doctor said if it would have been an hour later, I would have delivered um, probably at home, you know. So did you deliver or did they do a DNC? No, they did the DNC. They were able to, you know, I mean, okay. when I, yeah, when I got there, the nurse started my IV and the second that, an, that anesthesiologist hit the door, my doctor said, you give her enough meds till she is not feeling pain anymore and we need to go. Okay. So, now this might be like a really personal question, no, but okay. what do they, what do they do with the baby? Well, so it depends on the age from what I've been told, if, if it's 20 weeks or more, you have a full-on funeral. Okay. If it's under that, then to be honest, I don't know for sure what they do with it. Yeah. I think when it's when you have more than one, they do testing and things. I know with yeah. that second one, mm-hmm. they, they did do some testing because, um, you know, my doctor said you'll get a letter from a pathologist. But and did they find out anything? Because well, I yeah. know the first one, it was like just yeah, a no fluke idea. or so they say. Yeah. And with the second one, what what was the this, diagnosis? This one, what they found when they actually went in is the umbilical cord had wrapped around the baby's leg so tight it had cut off the circulation to the fetus. So that's why, like, I just wasn't feeling good. I mean, yeah, they think it could have happened anywhere from a week prior. Okay. You know, so, um, so yeah. Like, how does that even happen? Like, I, oh, I, yeah. I mean, again, it's just one of those weird things. Like bad luck. Yeah. Yeah. I hate, I hate saying that, but like that I is, I know it's like, gosh. that one like truly is. It was another situation of, I, we don't know how it happened. Yeah. You know, um, other had, than that, that baby had nothing, not, nothing wrong else. and would have no. made it to the full term and. Yeah, Yeah, would have. Yep. And prior to that, you know, when I first got pregnant that third time, we did do much more screenings than I had ever done, like with Hannah. You know, I also did a lot more testing, like quad screening and, Mm -hmm. you know, all those things. I think they had tested me for any kind of clotting disorders to make sure that I didn't need to be on anticoagulants, things like that. Mm -hmm. Just everything they could do to make sure that this pregnancy was going to go the term um yeah now what's the game plan after that so after that well this is where like emotionally like I just I shut down yeah Uh, I didn't answer my phone I didn't talk to anybody I mean I was literally in my room for two weeks taking the Vicodin they gave me just numbing myself in any way I possibly could Mm mm-hmm you know, of course, we had to break the news to Hannah, who knew, and I don't know if she's psychic or what, but she always said it was her brother. It turned out it was a boy. Oh, my um, goodness. Kids are so nick- intuitive. Are. I mean, she had nicknamed him Puddin'. She would talk to my belly and say, oh, hey, Puddin'. Aww. You know, so yeah. it's really hard. 
this was right before she was going to start kindergarten. It happened in August. She started kindergarten in September. So we did that DNC. I shut down for a couple weeks. You know, how did you, how did you explain it to Hannah? I think that that would be interesting for other people to hear just because it's like, you know, like, how do you do that? Yeah. Because I mean, at 16, 17 weeks, I was in maternity clothes. Yeah. I I couldn't wear normal clothes. So we Mm -hmm. just explained to her that the baby was sick and, um, and needed and had to go to heaven. Yep. And, you know, I mean, and, and Hannah, she's almost 12 now. She'll still talk about it, that she has a baby brother in heaven, you know? Yeah. We were pretty open with her. We tried to answer most questions, but like you can't answer everything to a five-year-old because yeah, I'm not going to give details of how they actually remove the baby, you know, because yeah. mm-hmm. that's too much for a five-year-old brain to handle. And she was quite upset. I mean, she sobbed and she cried and. So that was, that was a tough, made it tougher. Yeah. Because I'm now grieving for her as well. And again, my husband is trying to hold it together for all of us, mm-hmm. you know, and I was not, a, I hate to think it, but I wasn't a great support system for him. He was great for me. I was pretty much useless after that second one. Yeah. Um, like I said, for two weeks, I just shut down. I shut down. I mean, I, I wouldn't even take phone calls from my mom. I just I, didn't. I understand that. I yeah. kind of did the I kind of did the same thing with my family members. Yeah. So you, you can only retell when you, when it's that raw, you can only retell the story so much. Mhm. You know, like obviously my mom knew about it right away. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she was she showed up while I was having my um, my DNC done. I think she was mm-hmm. I think she was waiting with Jake. Um so yeah, it was Now did that affect you and Jake at all? Like um, marriage wise? You know, to be honest, it made us at first, I would say it made it a little rough, but long term, I think it made us much closer. Yeah. Because if you can get through that with your spouse more than once and I mean, my thought was if this guy's gonna stick by me when I am just being worthless and not even being a parent to our five year old, like we're we're gonna make it, you know. Yeah. For and sure. We had already had the discussion, you know, that we wouldn't try again. Mm-hmm. He knew. And for me, it was emotionally, he just knew, like, I will break down. I won't be able to do it again. Yeah. I mean, I do you, up- do you think if you guys didn't have Hannah, again, this is super personal, but do you oh. think if you guys didn't have Hannah that you would have tried again? You know, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, because we were hitting our thirties. I mean, we were early thirties, which I know is not uncommon now. Yeah. I think maybe we would have tried again. Um, if we hadn't had her, yes. But my thought process on it was, I mean, you know, you've been through it. It's so hard emotionally and it's Mm -hmm. so the blame game. Like what did I do to cause this to happen? And I blamed myself for over a year. Mm -hmm. I was put on Xanax. I was put on Lexapro. I mean, I was just like. Oh, yes. Bring on the anxiety drugs. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <Bottom two. laughs> yeah. I mean, and I had postpartum after I had had Hannah. So it wasn't unusual for me to have these feelings anyway, but definitely amplified when you lose your, you know, your baby at 17 weeks. Yeah. You know. Definitely. It's, it's a lot of hits to take. One is a lot. One is um, a lot. So to take more than that is, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I have friends that have said, oh, yeah, I had one at six weeks. And they make it sound like it's no big deal. But 
it still is a life, you know. Exactly. You, know, you still carried that. Yeah. And being for sure. Woman, you you feel or at least for me, I felt the burden that it was my fault because I'm the body that's supposed to keep this baby safe. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. only me, you know. Yep. So. There's, it's a 50-50 decision. I always say this and I always say it with like, I feel like such anger sometimes. <laughs> but I'm like, it's a 50-50 decision to start a family. But the woman is really the only one. Yeah. That, you know, for those first nine months, that does anything. Yeah. Like that's home. Yep. Like, home base. Like, I mean, your husband can't, I mean, as much as they'd want to, they can't take yeah. that for you, you know? Mm-hmm. So I wish they could. Yeah, <laughs> experience a little inkling. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, Jake has always been great, and yeah, it, it was really tough for me to talk about it after the second one. Again, I probably went back to work too soon, but I went back to work as soon as I could because I just needed to start life again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like, okay, it's time. It's been, you know, a couple weeks. So, but. Then I, I went back to work and I started just having this pain, you know, like, like, you know, that period cramping pain, but you know, I'm not going to get my period. Mm-hmm. And so I went, I had had, you know, my post-op appointment, whatever, like two weeks later anyway. And I actually had a clot that was turning to stone in my uterus. So enter DNC number four. Oh my goodness. In my life. Yep. So they have to get this out because it's obviously causing me discomfort and, and when, that had happened. I had told my doctor, can we just tie my tubes while we're in there? Now, my doctor, smartly, but I was angry at the time, is like, I am not going to tie your tubes. We need to give this more time because if I tie your tubes right now and six months later you decide you want to try again, we're out of luck. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, all right, we'll wait, you know. But my, my decision never changed, you know, mm-hmm. and Jake was on board. So, you know, we got my tubes tied six months later. I mean, and that was a really tough decision as well. Though, yeah. Because I now have a five, six-year-old who's like, well, I want a sibling. I want a sibling. And in my mind, I'm like, I just can't give mm-hmm. that to you. You know, I just can't, you know. I will never know. There's always the what ifs that maybe I could have. Mm-hmm. But I had to emotionally just stick to my decision that if it wouldn't have gone well again, I, I there's no way I would have mentally survived that. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I had my tubes tied and six months later, stopped getting my period, take a pregnancy test. It's positive. I'm like, oh, shit, I have a tubal pregnancy. Um, but it turns out I didn't. It okay. Was, it was a false positive. Oh, my I, gosh, though, the anxiety right. that would come with that. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I'm at work when I take this pregnancy test because, you know, that's what you do when you work with people for 12 hours. I got to go to Walgreens to get a pregnancy yeah. test. Like, I'm never late. Like, this is crazy. And so I called my clinic and luckily she's like, I'm just going to send an order for a blood draw over to the hospital. Just run over there quick, get it. And I'll call you later. I'm like, all right. So she calls me and the level is zero. So not pregnant. Okay. But then in comes pain every month and I keep, my period just won't come. So I got diagnosed with endometriosis um, and ended up with a full hysterectomy at age 34 to solve that problem. So. Okay. So that's kind of the the roundabout of the complete story of now, you know, being six years. It was six years ago yesterday that my uterus and ovaries were taken out. So, um, and how how does that affect you today? Like, 
is it still something that you think about on like a daily basis or do you have dates in your head that like are just hard for you and yeah the dates it's more dates and what's funny for me is I know a lot of people remember their due dates for me Mm -hmm. I remember you know the miscarriage dates miscarriage dates not necessarily due dates so like April and August not great months for me Mm -hmm. so but I, I give myself time on those days to just still grieve it. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's been seven, seven years since one, eight years since the other. But I mean, it never leaves your mind, you know. Yeah. You always will think about it. Yeah. And especially, it was especially hard because when I was going through my second miscarriage, I had a coworker who we had almost the same due date she carried to term. You know, and then I had family members who started having their families. And for a while, it was hard for me to hold their babies. And I mean, obviously, I was happy for them. Yeah. But at the same time, you feel that sadness because you're never going to have that again. Yeah. It's almost a jealousy that you yeah. normally just wouldn't have felt. Right. So it's like, it's a really, it's a really hard thing to grasp, I think. It is. Because it's like, normally, you'd be so happy. And then like, for some reason now, that's just totally changed <laughs> yeah it's like you're still happy for the person but you're sad at the same time yeah yeah is yeah. it still hard for you to um, sometimes see like pregnancy announcements or anything like that you know for now no okay I, I think just because of my age like I'm 40 I wouldn't be starting to have kids now anyway probably yeah but so no I mean it's I mean I have a one-year-old niece you know I mean yeah and I'm I've been fine but I still give myself, if I'm having a bad day and I need to just cry it out, I just cry it out mm-hmm. because it still is going to hit you. I mean, I take care of patients who are miscarrying and, you know, it, it floods it back. Do you share your story with them? when I do. you? That, that's so helpful. I do because they feel alone, I think. Because mm-hmm. you know? I remember with my first miscarriage when I went into the ER, um, the, the doctor had had nine miscarriages. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. she told me her story, and it made me feel so much better. Yeah. Like, I, I, like I look back, and if, like, what you're doing to help people was around when I was going through it, I think I would have probably not shut down as much as I did. Yeah. But, like, when I was having kids – a lot of my friends weren't yet, you know? Yeah. You know? Weird. And it also wasn't commonly talked about. And social media no. wasn't the way it is now either. No, I mean, you know. I think I had Facebook back then. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, it was just, I think my grieving pattern would definitely have been different now than it was then. But the only mm-hmm. thing I knew how to do was just to shut down. Yeah. You know, because I didn't think anybody understood, like, who's going to understand, you know? My mom had three healthy pregnancy, three healthy kids, you know, like mm-hmm. Jake's family is gigantic. He's related to almost the whole county. <laughs> you know, I don't know if anybody in his family has experienced it. So, yeah, it's just yeah. it's it's tough. It was tough for a while to. Yeah. Like you said, the pregnancy announcements, it's like, OK, I'm happy for you. But at the same time, you know, and for the for Hannah as well, the I mean, it sounds so horrible, but for a while we had to just ask her to please stop asking for a sibling yeah you know we ended up getting a dog because what yeah you, you yeah. <laughs> here dog. here this you is your new puppy. brother sister whatever right here have a puppy you know <laughs> because Jake didn't want a dog that was a happy wife happy life like listen we gotta do something yeah she I needs mean, a companion <laughs> she did 
I mean, and her kindergarten teacher, I can remember calling or emailing me saying she was talking about her baby brother in heaven. And I just didn't know. I'm like, oh, it's very recent. She's like, okay. And her teacher was great. She said, if it's yeah. recent, I will let her talk about it. She's like, I just wanted to make sure, like, is this a real thing? You know, yeah. kids stories. And I'm like, yep, it literally just happened before school started. So, you know. Yeah. Well, I think it's so cool that you're opening up now and sharing your story. And like you said, like maybe if you would have had this back yeah. then, things would have been a little bit easier. So you're kind of paying that forward onto somebody else. So I think that that's yeah. really cool. Um, if yeah. you had any advice. I'm putting yeah. you on the spot a little bit. Any oh, advice for somebody going through what you went through, you know, four DNCs and, you know, second trimester losses, what would, what would that be? Um, I would say just from my own experience, let people in, like, don't shut them out. Um, it just makes it harder to get back up. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to, like, I felt like it was, in my mind, it was my loss and my loss alone. And yeah, I, I think my, that's common too. Yeah. My suggestion would be is just let people in and, you know, people don't have to say anything to you. Sometimes mm-hmm. just sitting there, you know? Yeah. We don't want, help. it's almost like we don't want help. We just want like, just listen, acknowledge. Or, yeah. Just listen yeah. and understand and learn and, and, and just be there. Me, like, just talk about it to people because it's mm-hmm. amazing, you know, as I've gotten older and, it, you know, obviously everything gets easier with time and even talking about it does too. But it's amazing how receptive people are to hearing people's stories, mm-hmm. you know, like. Absolutely. Even, even if they haven't gone through it, you know, they're just openness breeds openness, I guess you could say. Yeah, vulnerable is like. Well, vulnerability is like a superpower and that's like something that I've learned. Yes, for sure. And I think that that's great advice. Just let people in. And I think one thing to even add to that is let them in however it best fits for you. You know what I mean? Because like like for me, it wasn't even necessarily like talking to people specifically, but it was like just opening up and like I would literally set my camera up, film a YouTube video, talk about it. And that is all my family would learn about it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's It's my way. Yeah. (laughs) It's completely okay to set the boundaries that, you know, if Mm. it's, I mean, I didn't answer my phone for two weeks because I wasn't prepared to talk about it. And I lost friends because of it. Yeah. People flat out stopped talking to me because I didn't return their phone calls. Well, yeah. you know what? I had, I, you know, I guess that was my boundary at that time. You know, mm-hmm. I just needed the time. Did I handle it appropriately? No. Because I numbed myself to it. You know, my advice would be is to just feel it. Feel it, experience the pain, because if you don't experience it in the moment, it will keep coming back. Yeah, very true. It took me a while to just full on experience the pain of it. Very true. It probably took me until my hysterectomy to full on experience the pain of it. Because having Mm -hmm. hysterectomy brings it back too, because then that's the finish line. Like now I will never carry a child in my body ever again. Yeah. Now not physically possible in any way. Mm-hmm. You know, like not even in a fluke, like, you know, oh, my tubes weren't tied right kind of way, you know, mm-hmm. it will never happen again. Yeah. So, and I had to backtrack and let my husband express himself, you know, yeah. and 
because he was the shoulder for me and I had to eventually turn around and be the shoulder for him. Yeah. He's so awesome. I remember (laughs) with my first loss, you know, I opened up Mm -hmm. on social media and it went kind of viral that first time. And they, it was like on some news site and there was like a bunch of haters commenting and I like went through and looked at it and your husband went on there Mm -hmm. and like went after the haters. (laughs) And I was like, yes. Yeah. He knows he's been through it. It's, and I mean, I still don't understand why it's so taboo to talk about because I feel like it's becoming more and more common. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's just because as a generation, everybody's, we're having kids as we're older. Yeah. I mean, and we're more day, mature and we're ready to, you know. Yeah. Well, and back yeah. in the day, having a baby at 35, oh, you were considered high risk because you were 35. Well, yeah. Yeah. Now people aren't, oh, sorry, excuse the language. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now people aren't even, you know, it's not even a thought in their mind until they're 35. Yeah. You know, so. Well, awesome, Katie. You did such a great job at telling your story. I'm sure it wasn't easy, but I just think that it's, yeah, it's not. I sound very factual all the time because that's just how I process it in my brain. It's just very factual. I do. Yeah, I do the same thing. Yeah. Um, Now, if people are listening to this and they want to maybe like reach out or just be like, hey, girl, like I've been there, like thank Uh you for sharing your story or something like that, where can they find you? Um, so I am on Instagram. It's KT8857 is my Instagram name. Lowercase awesome. A, lowercase T. That's probably the best way. Okay. And I'll link that in the description yeah. of the, the podcast as well. But thank you so much, Katie. Yeah, very welcome. I hope All it right. helps somebody. It will. I promise you. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.